Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read um, 2, where am, where am I? 14 through 21. Actually, the whole, we're going to look at Peter's sermon this morning, he preaches to, I think, verse, verse 36, but there's a natural break at 32. So one, he's going to kind of explain the prophecy of Joel in the first one, and then he switches gears. It's all pointing us to Jesus, but, but there is a break. So from 14 to 21, and then 22 to 36, really I need two sermons, maybe even more, but certainly we'll just take, um, take, take the application of, of Joel's um, prophecy. Verse 14, here are the words of our perfect God. But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, but it is only the third hour of the day. And this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God said, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your daughters and your sons shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and the glorious day of the Lord shall come. And, and, and this verse is very, very important. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, I pray, O oh God, that you would have mercy upon me and that the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart, Lord God, would be acceptable to you. Keep my sin and any foolishness away and may the words of the sermon be the words of your scripture. And for all of us, Lord, that we would, um, that we would hear and we would believe and we would live changed lives and everything would redound to your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray, O God, that you would extend the kingdom of grace, and even doing so, that you would crush the devil's kingdom and advance your own. And we thank you for the ministry of the word, and may we benefit by it. Have mercy, Lord, we pray in in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there was was a... We looked at verses... um, 2, 1 through 13, the day of Pentecost, I, w- I, was tempted to, I was tempted to go back into 1 through 13 and unpack a number of things concerning feasts and so on. There's just so much there. I think liter- literally in 1 through 13, you literally could have three or four sermons, but I won't. I want to touch on, I want to t- touch on the context of what went before, just a little bit to make sense. If this is your first time here, I preach through books I start whatever whatever chapter one one, and I plow through a book. I'm not a topical preacher. I I, I do every once in a while preach topicals, but my main uh, calling is I preach through books. So to give us a little bit of an occasion, we're obviously at Peter's sermon. The occasion of it is the day of uh, Pentecost. Uh, if you're familiar with your Bible, there are three pilgrim feasts in the Old Testament. When I say pilgrim feasts, I mean all the Old Testament. 
uh, in the Old Testament, the, the uh, adult males were, were required to go and present themselves before the Lord in the place, the Bible says, where God would place his name. That was in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem means city of peace. And Jesus is the prince of peace, ruling over the city of peace. And they were required to go there and to worship God there. And you remember, God says, I place my name here because there's the temple there. And when God says, I place my name, it's even within a, a certain portion of the temple, as it were, it's the Holy of Holies. And you remember what the, what's inside of the Holy of Holies? We said this last week. You've got the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is a wooden box with gold. Inside the box is the law. And over the box is what? It's the mercy seat. In the blood for our breach of the law. What's the song? And Jesus answers prayer in the mercy seat. And so the people come there. And we maintain, as the kind of Christians that we are, all of those feasts, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which is sometimes called the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Ingathering, is all pointing to Christ, Christ, Christ. Remember John the Baptist said, Behold the what? Taketh away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. This is Exodus 12, Exodus 13. Jesus is the Passover. And so we're here at this uh, Feast of Pentecost. It's sometimes referred to as the Feast of Weeks. It happens the 50th day after the, the, insti- the day that instituted Passover. So there's a connection to all of those pilgrim pe- feasts. And think of the one I just mentioned. There's a connection between the Passover and between this, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Harvest. Think harvest. That's what's going on with the Holy Spirit being poured out. The Feast of Passover, you have the Passover lamb is slain. Uh, I would put it in this kind of theological lang- language, redemption accomplished. And now when we come to the Feast of Harvest or, the, or Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out, you have redemption applied. Christ is the ground of our salvation, and then you have the application of our salvation when the Spirit works faith in us. Does that make sense? So when you look at this with your, when you look at the Old Testament with your Christological lenses on, it starts to make sense to you. If you've ever read the book of Leviticus, you think, what in the world's going on? Read the book of Leviticus through the lenses of the book of Hebrews, and then you'll understand. And so here we are at this feast, and it's not for nothing that Peter says, look at what's happening now. What's happening now was foretold way back in Joel, way back in Psalm 16, way back in Genesis 3.15. But that's what we're looking at. So the occasion of this particular sermon is Pentecost. It's not my purpose right now. I'm just going to say it. There's another thing that we see here. Maybe if it was a Bible study, I would do this, but it's not a Bible study. So the Lord Jesus Christ was raised on what day of the week? Sunday. We maintain, uh, we call it the Lord's Day, the book of Revelation. John was in the spirit on the Lord's Day, Sunday. As Reformed Christians, we use the term which gives everybody fits, but I'm a Reformed Christian, the Christian Sabbath. So we maintain Sunday, the Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath. If you want to study that some more, come and we can talk about it. But if not, nevertheless. So Christ is risen from the dead on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. The Holy Spirit's given on a Sunday. The Holy Spirit's being poured out on a Sunday. When you go back to the book of Leviticus, I want to say chapter 23, uh, the day of Pentecost begins one day after the Jewish Sabbath, which is, I would argue, the Christian Sabbath. So, Sunday. So the Lord Jesus Christ rises from the dead on a Sunday. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon the New Testament church, worshiping on the Sunday. Again, I just mentioned that. It's, it's interesting for me. Nothing in the Bible is arbitrary. It all has significance. But that's the occasion. So here we have the people of God. They're gathered together on the Lord's Day. And what are they doing? Obviously, Peter's going to be preaching. But what else is happening? You have, you have the people have separated themselves from other things. 
they've got away from their, the, in our language, their ordinary labors and their ordinary recreations, and they've gathered together to worship. I would say this is, this is normative on the Lord's Day. Um, Hebrews 10 talks about don't forsake the gathering together on the Lord's Day. Weekly, weekly worship. I believe it's continuation of the fourth commandment, but it's weekly worship. And so when we gather together in weekly worship, which is what's going on here, we stop our regular. If you cut grass for a living, you stop cutting grass. If you were like a carpet cleaner like I was, you stop cleaning carpets. And then you, you stop those things, and then you gather together with other believers and their children, and you separate from going to the beach, playing golf, all those things, and you gather together to expressly, purposely worship God. That's what's going on here. So they're gathered together to worship God. And here are some of the elements that we see, and these are normative in New Testament biblical worship. We, we want to be biblical Christians, do we not? We want to be good Bereans. And so what the Bible says God requires and God wants, we want to give him what God, what pleases God. And so we find the people are gathered together and look at the activities they're doing here. They're praying together. Part of the worship that we do corporately on the Lord's Day and certainly even individually, but certainly on the Lord's Day, is we pray together. Spurgeon was big on, essentially, if you don't pray, he would say you're not a Christian. And it's kind of dicey. Living things do what? They live. They breathe. You ever, if, you were, if you're a dad and you watched that baby come out of your wife, what's the first thing that little baby does coming out of your wife? That little critter starts howling. That howling. And little babies cry. Thou son of David, have mercy. Heavenly Father. So we're gathered together to pray. And, and as a species of our prayer, what else are they doing? They're praising God. They're praising God. Every form of true Christian praises God. We adore God for who he is. That's what praise is. Praise is. You don't really have to ask. You don't have to teach people how to offer supplications or petitions. Ask. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And I'm not against supplication. The Bible says, if you need anything, what should you do? Take it to your Father which art in heaven and say, Father, I need. We're needy critters. But not only do we bring to God, God, I need, physically, spiritually, God, I need, we also come to God and say, as our brother prayed, oh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you're so good. You're so holy, so loving. We look away from ourselves, our needs, and we turn to God in Christ, and we just adore adoration. And I will just say this, just, just, just an aside. Don't pick on how another Christian adores God. Don't do that. It's kind of obnoxious. We all do it. Y'all, y'all worship like that? Y'all praise like that? We don't praise like that. We praise like this. Well, good for you. Good on you. <laughs> good on you. You say tomato, they say tomato. And so if they're loving God in Christ and adoring God in Christ, and that's the way they do it, that's the way they do it. And does God accept it in Christ? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So, but that's what's going on. You have prayer going on. You have praising going on. And then here's another element that goes on in this, on this Lord's Day, which is kind of, we're looking at the text in a macro sense. Peter's preaching, preaching, preaching. This is not communications 101. This is not fireside chat. I know people sometimes do it this way. Like, it's just a chat. We're just here to chat. No, no, this is not a, this is not a chat. When Peter stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, this is not... You know, I give you my thoughts, you give me your thoughts. We just have a chat. We just share. And this is not this. 
When the evangelist comes and when the missionary comes, when the minister comes, the preacher comes, what does he say? Thus saith the Lord. So this is a particular man who has been commissioned by God to say what he's come to say, which is the official message of the herald or the ambassador. And I say that there is a proper sense of egalitarian in the Bible, egalitarianism, and then there's an improper sense which is perverted in our culture. We say like this, everybody's even Stephen. This is the wrong sense. I can do everything that you can do. I can't be a doctor because I pass out when I see blood. There's tons of stuff I can't do. God is the one that's distributing gifts. And so he says to one man, you're a preacher. This is the first Corinthians chapter 12. He brings us to Jesus. This man, Peter, he's brought to Jesus. And then he sticks us in the body where he wants, not where we want. And it's a bad idea to say, I know you made me a hand, but I think I, I can do that job up there. I want to be the mouth. Well, if you're the hand, you've got to be the hand. If you're the mouth, you've got to be the mouth. And that's God's business. So we find him preaching, preaching on the Lord's day. All of these things, praying, praising, preaching, and then the administration of sacraments, they are normative for Christian biblical worship. All of us have come out of the womb religiously all over the place. I was raised a Roman Catholic. My wife was raised a Hindu. We, in this church, this little church, we come from everywhere. And so most of us didn't come out of the womb into OPC or Calvinism, whatever, whatever it is we are. Most of us did not. And so when we come to this business, if you've ever traveled around trying to find a church, have you ever tried to look for a church? It is so stressful. Is it not? You're stressed out of your gourd. You walk, you know, and if it's little, people jump on you. If it's big, you can hide over in the big. But then you're always looking like, oh, how do I know if it's a good church? How do I know if this is? First of all, we determine good by what God says. R remember? So obviously I want everybody in the world to come here, but I won't because of the way I preach. But I won't get them. When you're out and about looking for a church, look for this. Is it a praying church? Do they pray to God? And they, do they pray to the Father through the Son? Are they praying in reliance upon the Holy Spirit? Are they a praying, praising church? Well, we sang Charles Wesley. I love Charles Wesley. I picked their bulletin, so we sing Charles Wesley. I love him. Do they praise God? And now here is the big one. Do they preach? And do they preach the word of God? And this is, this, I would argue, this is the primary means of grace. This is the primary means of grace. He's preaching the word of God. If you walk into a church and you're out and about looking around and the guy says, let me tell you the funny story I did on my vacation. Well, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I suppose you can do that as an application or an illustration, I suppose. But if it's all that, or it's like, I'm going to preach on the books a million, how to, whatever, what should you do? I am gone. I am gone. I'm gone. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit converts us with the word of God. He regenerates us with the word. He justifies us with the word. He sanctifies us with the word. Bible, 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 Bible. Now, you may say, I don't like the, the guy's Boston accent or whatever, but it's Bible. It's Bible. And we sometimes resonate better with one preacher over another. I'm, I'm not talking that. Uh, it, it's legit. If you just don't resonate with a preacher and he's preaching Bible and there's another Bible preacher that you do resonate with, awesome. But it's, it's Bible. So the way that we, we determine a man as a preacher uh, of God's word is Bible. 
And the main subject is what Peter is getting at. Again, we're looking in a macro sense. He's preaching Jesus. If you go into a church and they're not preaching Jesus, you need to leave. You need to leave. If it's, it, we homeschooled our kids, the real we, meaning my wife homeschooled. That's why she was in a fetal position by the time the kids turned 15. If you go in, and we were in favor of that, by the way. We're, I, I mean, now we wish we, could, we wish we were rich so we could have sent the kids to private school now that we're, we're older. But anyways, if you go in and the church is, we're preaching homeschool. homeschool. We're a homeschool church. Or we're whatever church. We're, we're a something hyphen church. And that's what they preach. That's not a Christian church. That's not worship, even if I agree with the thing they're talking about. We come into worship, not homeschool. Christ. Does the minister preach Christ? Does he preach the gospel? Is it grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone? Scripture alone? Is it? You, you'll hear. You've got a Bible. You're sitting there going, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. That doesn't, it sounds like what I have to do, not what Jesus has done. Not tetelestai. It is finished. But I've got to get on the gerbil wheel and hump it or else I don't go to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Does the man preach the gospel? Does he preach the law too to drive us to Jesus? Does he? So these are elements of worship. And I would say this as an aside. And it's the mark of a true church. It's a mark of a true church. Do they preach the word of God soundly? Do they administer the sacraments? And sadly, I believe this. This is true, but no one does it anymore. Do they administer church discipline? And church discipline isn't something bad. It's something very biblical. If somebody's goofy in the church, then the minister says, brother, sister, please turn, turn, please. Because if you go into a church and there's no administration of discipline from the word to people, it's just a free-for-all one, it, it, it dishonors Jesus, and then there's no love to the brother. If, if you are my professing brother and sister in Jesus, and I know you're off the rails, and you're walking into the furnace, and I know it, I see it, and I don't say to you, brother, the Bible says, brother, no, turn this way. I say, hey, I don't want to get you mad. I'll, I'll say nothing. Then you don't love me. If you know a man's getting ready to break faith with his wife and you know it, and you don't say to him, brother, you swore to God she's your wife. Stop that nonsense. Then you don't love him. Then you don't love him. Take a deep breath, tighten your pants, put the big boy pants on and tell him, brother, no, you're a Christian. You bear the name of Jesus. That's loving. So if you go into a church and say, hey, whatever, this is a free-for-all, that's a, that's, a, that's a bad sign. So we see some of these things. So the occasion of the Lord's Day, now, we have here the deliverer of the sermon. Obviously, it's the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter was raised a Jew, and, and there's lots of privileges for being raised a Jew in, in the Old Testament to New Testament epoch. The Bible says in the book of Romans 3, 1 through 3, he had the oracles and the ordinances of God. If you were a Hittite or an Amorite, you were up the creek. You didn't have the gospel in type in shadow. You didn't have the law. You didn't have the priests. You didn't have the sacrifices. You had what? Nothing. You didn't have anything. You didn't have salvation. Peter had all of that. And the Lord Jesus Christ passed by him. Remember this is in John 1. He called, it was Andrew and Peter. They're both fishermen. He called them to himself. And he says to Peter and the guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, I'm going to give you a new job. And we find the apostle Peter at his new calling. He was a fisherman. And at this time, 
Were fishermen like uh, commercial fishermen? Did they make three, three or four hundred thousand dollars a year? What, what kind of men were these guys considered to be? They're nothing. They're the nothings. And when I say that, we all do this. Oh, so what do you all do for a living? Uh, I do X, Y, Z. And I saw this when I was a carpet cleaner. And someone would say, what, would you, what do you do for a living? And I'd say, well, I clean carpets. Yeah, I clean carpets. When dogs and cats do whatever they do on the carpets, I come, you pay me money, I clean them, and then you're happy. And it's how we paid rent, how the kids ate. It was, it's lawful. And people go, yeah, okay, clean carpets. But then when I got into seminary, I saw something else happen. People would say, what do you do? Yeah, I'm a carpet cleaner, but I'm going to seminary. I'm going to be a minister. And you know what happened? My stock went up. Okay, so you scrub dog and cat stuff, but you're going to be, ooh, ooh, you're going to be something. Don't think like that. God takes a fisherman, people that are nothing, and he says, watch this. I'm going to turn the whole world upside down. I'm going to make a guy who's a wild man. The apostle Peter was a wild man. He's a fisherman. This is no, he's no effeminate whatever he is. He's the macho man off fishing. I'm going to make him a preacher. Well, he wasn't raised. Right. He, he didn't get his undergraduate. He didn't get his master's. He didn't get his PhD. Oh, yes, he did. He got all of those things. He went to Jesus U for three years. He got all of those things. But he took a nothing and made him a preacher. I'm going to say this. This is with one of my favorite Martin Lloyd-Jones. You can't teach people to preach. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Either they have the gift or they don't have the gift. That's how it works. You can teach people how to make craft a better sermon, but you cannot give the gift. Here we have the Apostle Peter. He's a saved man. He knows Jesus, and he's getting ready to preach Jesus. You, this is why angels can't preach, because they don't know redemption. And this is why Christians who know, I'm being redundant, you have to be a believer. You have to know God in Christ. You have to know the forgiveness of God in Christ. You have to know the sweetness of God to be able to preach those things. Could I get a guy to craft a better sermon than a, than a minister who knows Jesus, an unbeliever? Could I get him to craft a neat sermon? Sure. Can he preach? No. No, because he doesn't know who he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He may say the right things. I could get the Dalai Lama to write things, write things, Right, right, correct things. But he's deaf, blind, dumb. The apostle Peter knew Jesus. And what did he say about Jesus? Who do, who do the guys say that I am? And what did Peter say? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Christ say to him? Oh, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. It's not flesh and blood that showed you that. It's my Father in heaven. So here we have Peter. He knows the Lord Jesus Christ savingly. And Jesus says to him, I'm going to give you a new job. You're going to go, I'm going to, you're going to get off of the boat, get off the boat, put down the net, and do what? I'm going to make you fishers of, say it, men. And here he is in his new vocation. And the gospel is his net. And who's his fish? Or what are his fish? People. People. I like rural places. I mean, just conceptually, I like them to go out I, I met my wife in the country in cow farms tobacco farms uh, corn farms beautiful I love it I have sweet memories of that the problem is for a minister you're not going to be a good minister if you're living out on the, on the cow farm in, in the cornfield even though I, I would like to why? there are no people there 
ministers are fishermen. You got to go where the fish are. And so he's throwing nets over the fish. And he's busy at his business. God, God takes foolish sinners, saves them in Christ, and then uses them for Christ. And not just ministers. Not just ministers. Everyone here that loves the Lord Jesus Christ, everybody, you are not what you were before you knew Jesus. You are not. Someone could say, oh, you're the drunkard, you're the liar, you're the fornicator, you're the homosexual offender, you're the blasphemer, you're whatever. And you, what should you say? Guilty as charged. But I'm not that anymore. I've been washed. I've been forgiven. I'm a new creature in Jesus. And now Christ is going to take you and make you live for him and useful for him. So ministry, for sure. Preaching, for sure. But all of us, all of us, he takes nothings. This is in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to the end. Why, does God, why doesn't God save the rich, the powerful, the famous? Because then people would go, well, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be the top 10. He takes the bottom. He gets all the glory. And I want you to see something else through preacher Peter. And I love this. Here's Peter preaching the sermon. Not only was he a nothing and God saved him, he failed. He failed big time. He swore to God three times, I don't know Jesus. What do we call that? A lie. Who here has ever told a lie? Who here has ever told a lie after they would become a Christian? All of us. Does Jesus do it like this? Well, I'll save you. I'll save you from your past sins. But boy, howdy, if you mess up, in future, you're on your own. You're on your own. No. That's not how it works. Jesus is in the saving sinners business, and he's, he's in the keeping saved sinners saved business. Saved. <laughs> Why is that important? Why does Peter have to say, I failed so miserably, but I'm still here preaching Christ. Why is that important? Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Peter, you're going to fail. Your, your, your sin is stronger than you think. Your weak faith is weaker than you think. And the devil's stronger than you think. But guess what? Christ is stronger than all of those things. Beloved, you can't sin away the grace of God in Christ. Your sin is not stronger than Jesus. Someone could say, Pastor... I have professed faith. I do love Jesus. You don't know what I've done. I don't have to know what you've done. I have to know this one. And if you know that one, work on, fight on, press on. That's what goes on. So that's the preacher. I think even the fact that he keeps standing, preaching. And so obviously he's the deliverer. The activity, I don't mean to be silly. I want to be quicker. He's preaching. It it does seem a little silly. The activity of the preacher is preaching. And it's silly for this reason. It appears silly for this reason. The antagonist against Christianity says this, and even to the pulpit. Well, look, you can have your religion. Fine, religion is fine. As long as your religion is personal, you can keep it at the house. Don't tell anybody. And, And if you do go to another person and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. If you say that, what's their unbelieving rejoinder going to be? You are un- So what about the Hindus? What about the Muslims? What about the Buddhists? They're all toast. Their ways are wrong. How mean. 
How unloving. You are a narrow-minded. You know what? If you're really like Jesus, you'll just shut up and keep your religion to yourself. (laughs) No, beloved. That's not our faith. Our faith is expressed here. Preaching, 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 evangelizing, evangelizing. It's evangelical. The The evangel, the good news, is Jesus. And the minister's job is to run around telling everybody about Jesus. Who or what would tell the Christian? You, you, you can have your little Jesus, but you just shut up about it. Who would tell you that? The devil would tell you that. And people that are being governed by the devil would tell you that. Our faith is meant... Paul says in Galatians 2, we kind of reference it in one of the songs, Jesus has been given to you so you could give Jesus away. That's our faith. We have to do it. You ever, I used to go to the dog tracks when I was a young guy. I don't go to the dog tracks anymore. <laughs> But I would go to the dog track. And I suppose this is true with the horses, but I, I, with the dogs. You see the dogs when they're in their box. You know what they're, before that bell dings and the, and the rabbit takes off, you know what the dog's doing in the box? He is like this. He's been created by God to run fast. We have been born again in Christ to give Christ away. That's our faith. And we all do it variously. Peter preached the way that he preached. I preached the way that I preach. We give Jesus away variously. And if you're a mom or a dad or a sheetrock, you give Jesus away variously, the way that we're wired. And so we see him in the business of preaching. I know I haven't even talked to the, the content of the sermon yet. Mea culpa. Let's, let's talk about the content of the sermon. So Peter is preaching this. We call it, it says, the editors say, Peter's sermon. A couple of things here. When we look at this, and this is for my, my brothers in the ministry, want to be in the ministry, or people that are theologically minded, the, the, the words that are recorded here are not every one of Peter's words in the sermon. I guarantee you, it says it later in the, in the verse. It's not, every, it's not every word that came out of Peter's mouth. So this isn't the whole sermon. It's not like it, I have uh, Charles Spurgeon's sermons, and they're, they're massive. And so some guy wrote down all his words. This isn't that. This is just a snippet of the sermon. And so what that means is God is recording for us what God wants us to have. But there's plenty that he left out. And what does that mean? God didn't want us to have that. There's a place in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The hidden things belong to God and the revealed things belong to us and our children. Luther said, if you're groping for Jesus apart from the scripture, you're going to grab the devil. People do this all the time, even professing Christians. Well, I see what the Bible says, but what happens behind that? What's behind that? What, what are the secret things behind that? Oh, beloved, it is a bad idea to go looking for biblical, scriptural, moral, religious truth beyond what God has bad idea. And I'm going to say this just generally. The Bible, there's enough revelation in the Bible to keep us plenty busy from the moment we're born again until they say Brother John or Sister Sally is in glory. Plenty busy. So he preaches the Bible. Another thing that we see that in this text is there's no formula in the, preach, in the preaching sermon. There's no formula the way that we think of formulas. Most people when they go to seminary the homiletics class, they tell you how to preach how to construct a sermon. 
And the way that most preachers, it doesn't matter Baptist, Presbyterian, everybody's taught pretty much. It's a three-pointer. You've been in this. Am I right, three-pointer? And sometimes the guys do this. My three points are this, and I give you my three points, and then I tell you my three points. I myself, I, but it's not that. I'm not picking on that method per se, but it's not that. And even in the reform camp, our camp, we have our own little way. It's called guilt, grace, gratitude. Every sermon is supposed to start with the fall in the garden, and then you, you go to Calvary's cross, and then you end up in heaven. I like that. But do you find that God requires it of the preacher here? No. There's no formula. Preach Christ. Preach Christ according to the Bible. Preach Christ the way that you're wired to preach Christ. And don't pick on another guy that's preaching Christ different than you. The church is a goofy thing. I love the church, but we're goofy. We have our little camps. My guy does it the right way, and your guy does it the wrong way. Does your guy tell people about Jesus? Yes. Your guy tells you about Jesus? Yes. Well, he does three points. You only do two and a half. It's not in the Bible anyways. And the, 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 the importance is not the formula of it or the form of it. What's the importance? The content of it. And the content of it, and I'm just going to say this generally because I'm going too, way too long. The content of Peter's preaching is Jesus. That's what he does with Joel. He goes back to Joel chapter 2. He, the, God, the, the group of people, they hear the, the Holy Spirit pours out on the group. A bunch of the 120 people start speaking in tongues, foreign languages. And a bunch of the other people say, what? They're drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're drunk. And Peter says, no, they're not drunk. This is, this is not drunkenness. This is what God said through Joel was going to happen. And just as a brief aside, if you are an unbeliever and you see the work of God and you hear the, the word of God and you're an unbeliever, guess what's going to happen? That's dumb. That, that doesn't even make sense. This is stupid. They're scoffing at the word of God. That's what's supposed to happen. Unbelievers don't believe. That's their definition of an unbeliever. So when you think, well, I just told the guy about Jesus and they're making fun of me. Oh, so you believe there's one God and it's a triune and Jesus is the second person of the Godhead born of the Virgin Mary. He dies as an atoning sacrifice. And they look at you and go, you, you believe like a cartoon. No, no. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. And part of the job of an elder, preacher, evangelist, missionary is to what? The Bible says that they're able to refute this is polemical theology. Polemics means this is right, this is wrong. And Peter practices polemical theology. He says, no, they're not drunk. What, 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 did the, what did the people that were against the work of God in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah, say they're rebuilding the, the wall? And what did Tobiah and Sanballat, whatever those guys were, they said, if a fox jumps on the wall, what's going to happen? It's going to fall to pieces. Beloved, scoffers are going to come and they're going to scoff at the gospel of Jesus. They're going to scoff at you living for Jesus. Why? They want to discourage you. Don't live for Jesus. Don't preach Jesus. Most of us think, well, if God calls me to suffer and shed blood for the faith, I, I have no problem for me. Most of us can't even endure a dirty look or, or a word. You're stupid for believing in Jesus. Never going to say anything to anybody ever again. <laughs> Beloved, this is the devil. And this is why the Holy Spirit's been poured out upon believers. 
to give us the ability to preach Christ and live Christ against the opposition of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Again, I'm way too long. But what he says with using Joel, he goes back to Joel, and he says, this is not drunkenness. In the last days, when Messiah comes, God the Holy Spirit is going to pour out on his people and give these gifts. And so this is what was foretold then. And I'm going to say this. The Bible is a unity. This is why we read our, our secondary standards. The Old Testament preaches Christ. The New Testament preaches Christ. I have it in my notes. Where is it? St. Augustine. St. Augustine. Should I say St. Augustine if I'm a Protestant? Um, St. Augustine. He, he says this. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament, and the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. That's what God is saying. What God said in Joel, here it is. Uh, verse 16, Joel was preaching Christ. Verse 24, 25, when, when, when David says in Psalm 16, and the Messiah won't suffer decay. David was preaching Christ. And we go from the shadow of Christ to the substance of Christ. That's what's going on. And so we learn a couple of things. Salvation is of the Jews and that there is a unity in the scripture. We see the progressive nature of scripture. And this, this is one of the reasons I do like our corner of Christendom, the Reformed Church. It's very easy to make a hash of the Bible, to twist the Bible. And I would argue this. It's very easy, especially to twist the Old Testament. If there is a a New Testament text that specifically refers back to an Old Testament text, that Old Testament text means what the New Testament text says it means. Does that make sense? So Joel 2 means what Acts 2 says it means. It points forward to the coming and the fullness of, of Christ's coming. That's what it means. Why do I say that? If you've been a Christian for five minutes and you go to different churches, you go, this is dangerous. You go on the internet, every goofball in the world is a Christian teacher. Well, in the Old Testament, and this is what this means, red is this and brown is this and this is this. And you think, well, that's nutty. That is nutty. There's a man that was sent me a text this week and he's toying with what I would consider a hyper-patriarchy movement. There's a lot involved in that, I know. It's goofy. It's not that men are not the leaders, they are, but hyper, hence wrong. And in the view, this guy sent me this book. He said, well, Pastor, you know, I'm reading this book. And I immediately looked at the guy and said, this is, that's a goofball. He's a goofball. And I went around and I found a quote of this guy saying, well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for wife is the Hebrew word for slaves. And you could beat your slaves in the Old Testament. Therefore, you could beat your wife. I, I clicked, I saved that. And I sent it to the guy. I said, goofball, goofball, run. But that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Be careful. You can take that Old Testament and you can twist that critter everywhere. The New Testament, read what I said. Read your Old Testament with the lenses of the New Testament. And I want to say two things and I promise I'm going to quit. I promise, promise. So Peter says, now it's happened. The fullness of time, the last days come when Jesus, they they stretch from the time Christ comes the first time and Christ Christ comes the second time. And so it's the fullness of time, but the speaking of tongues has has a, a certain view for the Jews and then a different view somewhat for the Gentiles. Partly it's Christ has come, believe in Christ. But God says in a number of places, the book of Deuteronomy and then even in the book of Corinthians, 
when the Jews heard these Gentile tongues being spoken, in part it was meant to convict them for living like a Gentile. Deuteronomy 32, 19. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of their sons and daughters and said, Then I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse nation, generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with that which is not a God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. Ready? This is Romans. Deuteronomy, but quoted in Romans. I will make them jealous with those who are not my people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So when, when the Jews hear all of these Gentile tongues, God says, I came to my own, and my own what? Knew me not. The Bible says, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter, ch- chapter 2, to the Jew first, then what? Then to the Gentile. That's what's going on here. I have a whole other sermon against racism, which I find so obnoxious. But the, 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 the promise of the Bible is in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 28. In the seed of Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be saved. The Jews were hearing Gentiles praising God because of the coming of Jesus. Conviction to them that they should repent and believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then to us as Gentiles, people that were worshiping sticks and stones, God has opened the way of salvation in Christ. And it's great joy that we should repent and believe in the one that Peter preaches. Amen? Amen. Amen. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.